0: As we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's holy word, let us bow for a word of prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So illumine now our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we might receive with joy what you have to say to us today. All these prayers we make in the name of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. This past week, I was thinking about what to preach and managed to finish my sermon on Monday, which ordinarily is great because it means the rest of the week is less stressful. But by Thursday, as the uncertainty around the election continued, I was thinking it's probably not the best sermon for this particular Sunday, Uh, given the angst that our country has been through this week. So I was thinking about uh, what should we talk about instead this morning. And sometimes when things get complicated, the best thing that we can do is just get back to the basics. And thankfully, this morning, we were able to celebrate uh, the baptism of Henry. And uh, when we think about baptism and what it means, we are thinking back to the very basics of our faith And what it is that we proclaim in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning what I'd like to do instead is to reflect on the meaning of baptism. uh, To get back to the basics of our faith as we uh, recover from the past week and look ahead uh, to the weeks to come. So uh, that's what we'll do this morning. The Old Testament text is 2 Samuel 23 verses 1 through 7. These are the last words of King David as he reflected back on his life as the king of Israel. Uh, These are poetic words about what a godly ruler looks like, uh, according to David, who was a man after God's own heart. Now, these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man whom God exalted, the anointed one of the God of Jacob, the favorite of the strong one of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His word is upon my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, One who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, is like the light of morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning. Gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. Is not my house like this with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But the godless are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be picked up with the hand. To touch them, one uses an iron bar or the shaft of a spear, and they are entirely consumed in fire on the spot. The New Testament lesson is Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. In the first couple of chapters of Galatians, Paul has been speaking to these two competing parties of Jews and Gentiles who were trying to figure out how to live together under the one umbrella of followers of Christ. And these verses are a sort of crescendo to Paul's argument as we reach the end of Galatians 3. So listen once again for the word of the Lord. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, what a hard week it has been for us as a nation The angst and uncertainty of this very close election has left many of us feeling exhausted or perhaps even downright overwhelmed. The truth is that our partisan politics have taken quite a grip upon many of us, regardless of what side of the aisle you might find yourself on. Our nation is deeply divided, and the vitriol and the suspicion with which we hold one another as a society has at times gotten downright ugly and deeply personal. I was sitting next door in front of Riverside Methodist Church on Tuesday handing out water as voters came and went. Uh, Bill Hoff and Emily Knight next door had the idea and our staff um, took shifts at that table throughout election day. And As I sat and watched, I was wondering what was going through people's minds uh, as they came to vote. People seemed rather subdued. A couple of times, a truck drove by waving a profanity-laced campaign flag. Another time, a person screamed out the window of the passenger side of the car as it drove by. I couldn't help but wonder what sort of anger the woman across the street in the park waving the sign received throughout the course of her day. In many ways, it seems like our political discourse has disintegrated from anything resembling reasonable civil discourse. As a nation, we've begun to attack one another's very personhood. No longer is American our primary political identity. Now we are deplorables or trolls, fascists or communists, and so on. As we've seen in this past week, in our society, we have come to question not just one another's politics, but one another's very identities. We have reduced and simplified the other into little more than a vote for the opposite party. But, friends, as Christian people, our most fundamental identity is not up for discussion. Our most fundamental identity cannot be altered by the rage and angst of our society. There is a permanence to who we are because no other human being has been given the power to define us at a most fundamental level, save for one. Jesus Christ, our Lord. This morning we've celebrated the baptism of Henry Andrews, and in fact, it could not have been more timely. As we have witnessed this visible sign of an invisible grace, we have been reminded of the fact of our own baptisms into Christ Jesus. We've been reminded that no matter what sort of identities our political climate might try to stick onto us, our most fundamental identity is always that of our baptism. Our most fundamental identity is that we are a child of God, God's beloved. Our most fundamental identity is that we have been grafted into Christ and sealed as God's own forever. When my son was born on Friday, I think I was able to glean a deeper sense of what this is like as I was suddenly overcome by this sense of belovedness between us when I held him for the first time. It's little wonder that we use familial language to talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Those familial bonds are so deep and so strong. And as I watched Sunil and James Together, as I watched her feeding him and then looking at each other, uh, I was thinking about this sense of God's belovedness which we express in baptism, and I was reminded how poignant and powerful that really is. You see, our baptismal identities are a counter-narrative to the narratives of the world. Our baptismal identity is a counter-testimony to the claims our society might try to make about who we are. Our baptismal identities are an objection to the notion that we're anything less than who Christ declares we are in him. This is an identity that is not up for grabs. It's not up for grabs when insults start to fly at the Thanksgiving dinner table because someone started talking about politics. It's not up for grabs when words that dehumanize are retweeted ad nauseum. It's not up for grabs when the government assists us or when the government fails us, when the government gets in the way or stays out of our way. No, our baptismal identity has been fully established in Christ through his death and resurrection, and it is unwavering and unfailing even when we forget how fundamental it is to who we are. It's also an identity that all of us share as members of Christ's church. Galatians tells us that we have been baptized into Christ, and in so doing, we have been clothed with Christ, which means that we should all look the same. We should all look like Christ. It means that all of us participating in this service now, whether we're here, whether we're watching online, we all share the same fundamental identity in Christ even if we voted for different candidates, even if we didn't vote at all, even if we're members of different political parties and persuasions. Now, maybe you're rolling your eyes a little bit. Maybe you're tired of hearing platitudes about unity in the church that don't seem to acknowledge the differences that are true and deep in our society Maybe you're weary of hearing a message about Jesus breaking down dividing walls of hostility when you're constantly bumping up against walls of misunderstanding, walls of resignation, walls of hatred. Well, you'd be right to roll your eyes at anything that would try to minimize or ignore the very real differences that exist in our society at times. The point is not to minimize our differences, but instead the point is to maximize the commonality we have in Christ. The point is to reinforce the truth that however different our political identities might be, our unity in Christ, our baptismal identity, is greater still. It'd be easy for us to hear a call for unity as a call to escape from the world around us or as a call to refuse to do the hard work of making the world a better place. But that's not the purpose of a call for unity To say that we are one in Christ is actually a call for a deeper engagement. It's a call to recognize that the commonalities we share in baptism must transcend our political differences in the church. It's important for us to hear that call as we wrestle with the aftermath of this contentious election. It's also not proper for us to allow the noise of the world around us to make us forget what we're called to do as the body of Christ. It may be true that whoever occupies the White House makes important decisions that affect people in different ways. But whoever our president is and whoever represents us in Congress at any given time, the work of the church remains the same. We're still called to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted, We're still called to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. We're still called to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, to stand with the oppressed and the outcast and the marginalized. We elect presidents and congresspeople. We hire them as public servants. But Jesus Christ has elected us, and we serve him as his disciples. We choose our leaders, but Jesus Christ has chosen us to serve him. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Again, this is not to say that political engagement isn't important or consequential. It is. But it is to say that the work of the church is important and consequential. It is to say that as we have been clothed in Christ Jesus, we can and must ourselves into the work that Christ has called us to do and it is to say that we can do that work side by side with those with whom we disagree politically because our common service to the Lord Jesus is even greater than any politics that might divide us. This past week I called one of my friends who is also a pastor to discuss what he was planning to preach on Sunday in light of the week's events. And he told me a story about what happened to him when he voted on election day that I thought was compelling. As he was walking to his neighborhood polling place to vote, he noticed a man on the ground under a nearby bush. And as he got closer and asked the man if he was all right, the man didn't respond. When at last the man groaned and rolled over, my friend realized he had a severe knife wound and was bleeding profusely. He quickly called the police and called out to other passers-by who were on their way to vote to come and help. One woman happened to be a nurse and began attending to the man, and others stood by and watched, prayed, and waited. Eventually, the paramedics arrived and took the man away, and after the ambulance had departed, my friend said he looked around and glanced at everyone else with whom he had shared this emergency experience and he realized that all of a sudden a certain commonality had taken shape among them. All of them had been on their way to vote or coming from having voted and all of them would have done anything in their power for that man in his moment of need and none of them knew who anyone else had voted for. For my friend this was a moment of epiphany And he was reminded that in certain sacred moments, we're most defined not by our political affiliation, but rather by the urgent needs of others that lie before us. As we recover and recalibrate from an emotional, challenging week, I hope and pray that we will remain focused on the work that God has called us to do as a church, because our world, our city, and our neighborhood continue to face urgent needs as the pandemic rages and as the economy sputters. So, may we acknowledge that politically, we do have certain divisions and that those divisions run deep. But even still, may we remain focused on what unifies us in Christ. May we remain defined by our baptismal identities and refuse to allow any dehumanizing words to take root in us. And may we remain deeply committed to the work of Christ in the world, knowing that because we are all one in Christ, nothing else could ever be more true about who we are. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.